Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock, and welcome to From the Hack's first podcast of the 2018-2019 curling season. It's the start of a new Olympic cycle, and From the Hack will be with you throughout the journey leading to the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. On this week's episode, we will recap results from the past weekend. We will discuss new events, rules, and changes to the point system with Jerry Gertz of the World Curling Tour. And in part one of our 2018-2019 season preview, we will turn our attention to Canada with a lineup of guests that includes Chelsea Carey, Joanne Courtney, Carrie Anderson, Brent Lang, BJ Newfeld, and Jocelyn Peterman. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. From the Hack is proud to announce that we have partnered with our friends at the Two Girls in the Game podcast and the Curling Legends podcast to create the Curling Podcast Network. I hope that you will take the time throughout the season to listen to each of our podcasts as we all offer a little bit something different in our coverage of the sport we all love. The Curling Podcast Network is proud to welcome our new sponsors, Jet Ice, Hardline Curling, and Asham Curling Supplies. Week 2 of the 2018-2019 season saw several of the world's top teams play in their first event of the season. The field at the Baden Masters in Switzerland included five of the top 15 ranked men's teams in the world, including some young guns such as Team Mowat, Team De Cruz, and Team Wallstad. However, it was a pair of familiar foes that met in the final, with Team Alsrud of Norway defeating Team Adin of Sweden 5-2. Not bad for a team that many felt would break up at the end of the last Olympic cycle. Meanwhile, at the icebreaker at the Granite event in Winnipeg, most people were looking forward to seeing the new lineups for Team Anderson, Team Flaxie, and Team Flurry compete together for the very first time. But it was two teams that stayed together at the end of the last Olympic cycle that stole the show. In the final, Darcy Robertson and her team from Winnipeg took an early 4-0 lead but found themselves tied at 8-8 against Team Sidorova in the 8th end without hammer but managed to steal a point for the win. In the men's event, Braden Calbert and his team from Winnipeg were able to defend their title they won last season by defeating the reigning Olympic champions Team Schuster of the U.S. 4-3 in the final. Our first guest this season is Jerry Gertz of the World Curling Tour. I started by asking Jerry about the Five Rock Rule and whether it would be the format used at all World Curling Tour's sanctioned events this season. Yeah, Five Rock Rule is now uh, the official rules of curling. So uh, starting uh, this season, uh, this change was is going to be implemented, uh, which is what they voted on last year at the World Curling Federation Congress in, uh, in Slovenia. The five rock rule has been used in the slams for the last four or five seasons or so. And the thing that we see in the five rock games, and I think it's going to really, you know, make the game a lot more fun to watch on TV and and keep the games, you know, more engaging, is that, you know, a team who gets a two-point lead can't just peel their way home. You know, they're going to have to continue playing the game. So they're going to have to, you know, potentially throw a guard in that situation at some point in an end. And, uh, you know, because the team now has two corner guards to come back. So it, it, it'll just create uh, more engaging games all the way through. So, and I, and I don't think it changes the game as you go down lower either. You'll see uh, curling clubs, I think they should all adopt it. I don't think it uh, will change much uh, in most places as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the implementation of that, that rule and, and uh, how the teams are going to think their way through that one too. From a scheduling perspective this season, the big addition is the Curling World Cup, which promises to be an exciting addition to the curling landscape moving forward. Yeah, so uh, the World Curling Federation has added a, 
a uh, new series of events to the schedule uh, uh, for World Cup events. The first will be in Suzhou, uh, China. Uh, Omaha, Nebraska will host uh, the second one in November, uh, de sorry, early December. And then North Shopping, uh, Sweden will have uh, one in uh, end of January. And then they'll have the World, World Cup final in, back in Beijing in China in first weekend of May. So it's yeah, it's going to be you know essentially we're going to lengthen that season even a little bit more, and uh, you know create some more opportunities to uh, have exposure for our sport. Uh, you know it's definitely been an aggressive play by the World Curling Federation. You know I think there's you know they'd fully admit that there's still lots of questions to be answered about what this series is going to mean, and where it's going to be seen, whether it's going to be on TV in Canada or not, or if it's just going to be still streaming coverage, but. You know, the real value in this is the exposure to, to Asia and to that Asian market with uh, two of the major tournaments in China and uh, Japan as a market that just loves their curling as well. And, you know, we, we saw what, uh, what Jung Kim's team did in Korea as well with, with uh, the interest there. So, you know, those are the markets that I think will hugely benefit from this. And, uh, you know, I think there's some things that they're going to, you know, have to work through and work out the bugs, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this get more investment and be, be a strong uh, series of events for the curlers and for the fans. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. It would seem that the exposure that mixed doubles received at the games in Pyeongchang has led to an increased number of mixed doubles events on the World Curling Tour, specifically in Canada and the U.S. Yeah, we've, we've seen some growth in the World Curling Tour mixed uh, doubles section for, uh, for some time now. We've um, this was really uh, spearheaded by uh, Armin Harder and the Champions Tour group out of Europe going back about five or six years ago or more now, where they really started getting a mixed doubles tour built. And so they've engaged that, and then with the merger of uh, the War Curling Tour and Champions Tour uh, ahead of last season, you know, this all became a, a larger group of the War Curling Tour as well now as the, as the organization. So, you know... I think North America is the market that you're going to really start to see some growth there very quickly because I think the people in USA and Canada have really started to like this game and there's enough traditional players that, you know, you might lay a fire under some of these competitive people who want to get out there a bit. So, you know, we're seeing names out there that don't play in the, in the uh, four-player game in competitive play. They're giving it a go. They're, you know, they're playing spiels and trying it. So... You know, I, I think it's the future portion of the sport that's going to be the fastest growing and, you know, just create new exciting opportunities as well. And meanwhile, the World Curling Tour updated their point system this offseason, which will impact how ranking points are handed out during different World Curling Tour events. Can you walk us through those changes and how it might impact the World Order of Merit? I think the changes are, are continuing just to, you know, slowly inch it better each time. You know, it's it's always been a little bit of an experiment to uh, to make sure uh, you know that you know when the numbers are put in place and and uh, you know it's executed on that it it gives a proper ranking of the teams and you know going out and winning games is really what matters at the end of the day and you know what have you done for me lately? So I think you know a couple of the changes that were were made there. One was. Uh, slowly decreasing the value of last season's points in your in your point total throughout the current season will will you know help make the current season more valuable as it goes on and put more emphasis on on those results 
So what that really means is, is it opens the door for teams who go out and play well. You know, you go out and win, you put some results together, and you can actually climb those rankings pretty quickly because the points the teams earned the previous season start to go away, so they have to continue to perform or else they're not going to, to stay at the top very long. So, you know, I think there's some potential to create uh, a little bit more uh, switching and, and uh, interest in climbing those rankings. And then the, the slow roll of, of events early in the season. Um, so you'll have two slots to fill until early October. You could play three or four events in September, and those events could all eventually account, but they'll, it'll take some time before they'll be eligible to be put into your point total. So I think it, it creates uh, you know, a little bit of opportunity. I, I was talking to a team out of Nova Scotia. Their interest was really about uh, um, you know, the fact that they, don't, they start a lot later than other places. So they're not going to feel like they're overwhelmed and they can keep up early by going out and actually playing well and having some good events. So, I, you know, I, I really hope the, the improvements go to grow the next tier of the game. You know, it's where I grew up in the game. You know, the Ontario Curling Tour was, was where I got started and was able to experiment and do some pretty cool things with draws and events and building a tour and, and trying to, you know, grow opportunities to climb that ladder and create a ladder up. So, you know, that's always been my intent to on how to, you know, create a better order of merit system. So that opportunity is always there for those who want to go and get it. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, there's there's still some things that have been discussed. You know, we're definitely seeing some significant changes in, in tour events and attendance. Uh, the Saskatoon uh, men's event uh, canceled uh, last week. So that's a major event off the schedule. And uh, I'm not sure listeners have noticed or not, but the Edmonton, uh, um, the direct horizontal drilling uh, classic from previous years, uh, they lost that sponsor. So uh, they chose not to run this year and are focusing on finding a new sponsor. They they found it out a little late, and they didn't want to guarantee anything in that purse. So, so that's two major events out west that are not running. And, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, there's some doors opening, but the profes- professionalization of the game is starting to come up too. So, you know, lots of neat opportunities on both sides there. Uh, but, you know, how do we create a, a point system that, that – you know, gives people the opportunity to climb into that if they really want to do it. Team Holman experienced a season of extreme highs and extreme lows on the ice last season, starting with their win at home in the Olympic trials, followed by a difficult week at the Olympics in Pyeongchang. I started my interview with Joanne Courtney of Team Holman by discussing the importance of the team's win at the season-ending Champions Cup to provide them with some renewed energy heading into this new cycle. Yeah, I think that um, the performance of the Champions Cup, it was uh, gritty. Uh, we weren't at our best, but we really grinded out some impressive comeback wins. Um, it was important for us to know that we still have it in us, um, and it, it, it meant a lot to, to be able to hoist that trophy at the end of the championship. I mean, the Olympics was an amazing experience. Obviously, we were disappointed with our results, but um, there were incredible highs and crushing lows, and I mean, Regardless of the result, I'm so grateful for everything we ought to go through as a team. But, of course, in the couple of months after that, it was it was a tough recovery, and we had to have some tough conversations. So, of course, um, the players was 
also a grind, and um, it's just a testament to the quality of play in, in women's curling right now. If you're if you're not firing on all cylinders, if you're not totally prepared, uh, you can't expect to have results. So um, we were really happy with how we came together at the Champions Cup, and we had a little getaway to Vegas right afterwards to make sure that we were, you know, bonding as a team because they're my sisters. Uh, we we stick with it you know, through the tough stuff and the great stuff and, and to be able to cap off the season with a win and then some bonding time was just, um, it was a really special experience. As you touched on, last season you experienced some incredible high points. I mean, I was in Ottawa for the Olympic trials and the atmosphere in that building for the whole week and the support received by Team Homan was unbelievable. However, the season also included some low points, which included failing to qualify for the playoffs at the Olympics. What did you learn about yourself last season that you think might help you moving forward, both on and off the ice? I think that the Olympics was a fantastic uh, opportunity for us to maintain our perspective. Um, you know, we, we gave it everything we had on the ice. There's so many games, there's moments where if, if one shot would have gone the other way, um, the whole result could have been differently, could have been different. So I think that, you know, knowing how hard we tried, how, you know, we, we left it all out there when we were there, um, we had amazing doses of perspective, um, having our families there to support um, to consistently bring us back to the moment that, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to be miserable for these three weeks of our lives that we've dreamed and worked towards. Um, we're going to enjoy the experience. We're going to make sure that we're, you know, proud to wear the Canadian, uh, the maple leaf and, and all the Canadian gear. And, you know, I... I think that maintaining perspective through kind of the journey through sport is one of the things that I learned and just last year. Um, you're not going to win every single bond spiel. Um, not every performance is going to be, you know, 100% the best thing you've ever done. I mean, there's so many learning opportunities along the way. So um, approaching the sport with gratitude, um, with joy, with, you know, reminding yourself of why you do what you do um, is something that I took away from the Olympics. And um, when we flew home from South Korea, I was proud and I was grateful and I, I still am. Um, it still gives me chills to think about the opening ceremonies and it also gives me chills to think about the closing ceremonies. Um, sport is an amazing opportunity to learn so much about yourself, about your teammates, about your family members um, and, and I'm just so, I feel so lucky to get to be kind of involved in curling at this point in my life. Joanne, regardless of the end result in Pyeongchang, you and the other members of Team Home are Olympians for life now. Does that take away some of the internal and external pressures you may have felt to meet expectations in the last cycle? Or is it simply being replaced by a hunger to get back there and take care of some unfinished business? You know, it would be a very long four years if all we were thinking about was redemption and, and you know, unfinished business and those kind of headlines. I think what happened particularly in the last four years was, you know, of course, at the end of the road, at the end of that long-term goal, those Olympic rings are always there, but you immerse yourself in, in the day-by-day, day, you know, week-to-week week at all these bond fields we play in. Um, we, as a collective group, we have a very high expectation um, for ourselves, for each other. We're all perfectionists. So by going to the Olympics in this last cycle, I don't think that takes the foot off the gas by any means. I think we're still motivated. We still feel like we have... So much room to improve and that we can push the sport to different levels um, especially now that it's going to five rock rule that's going to be uh, an exciting change to the game so yes it's in the back of our mind we're you know we're together for another quad and and of course the goal at the end of it is going to be an olympic gold medal um but you know we, we're going to have to make our short-term goals again and and work towards you know a national championship grand slam titles and all that stuff
While Team Holman embarks on the start of a new cycle with the same lineup, the men's team that represented Canada at the Olympics went through some major changes in the offseason, with Brent Lang and Mark Kennedy being replaced on Team Cooey by Colton Flash and B.J. Newfelt. For Newfelt, this was the first summer in 11 years where he faced the prospect of starting a season without the same teammates. I started by asking BJ if this offseason had been filled with more nervous energy and anticipation for him as he prepared for his first season with Team Cooey after so many years as a third on Team McEwen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's definitely a, a heightened level of excitement for sure for, for myself. Um, you know, going into a new team, new personalities, you know, it's just Anything new is obviously, you know, exciting, and 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 I'm just, yeah, very much looking forward to um, the new adventure and uh, the journey, and and you know the, you know, the playing with obviously Ben and, and Kevin, guys that are pretty much becoming legends of the game. Um, you know, to be able to, to learn from them and play with them is an amazing opportunity that uh, you know doesn't come around. I think, at, you know every for everybody so so i'm uh, yeah i'm very much looking forward to it and and yeah the off season has been um definitely probably one of the more exciting ones i've had in in a long time bj you've obviously played against kevin quite a bit over the years so you know him fairly well even though you've never really been on the same team uh how will the differences between mike and kevin impact the way you fill the role of third in this new lineup yeah, I mean, I think it'll be, it'll definitely be different. How how different and what it's going to look like, I'm maybe a little bit unsure of at the moment. I, I mean, I did play with Kevin at the Casino Ramaskin game uh, a while back. We got a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of, of what that's like. You know, I mean, I guess Kevin's pretty somewhat easygoing, I guess, when it comes to uh, placing the broom and stuff like that. That's what I remember from playing with him in the Skins game. Um, you know, he kind of maybe, you know, gives up some control in the house, I guess. Which, which will be maybe a little bit different than, than playing with Mike. But, yeah, you know, it's, it's really hard to really know. I mean, but that's still quite a while ago, and um, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how that all, you know, takes shape. But, um, I mean, Kevin's a little bit more quiet, I, I guess. You know, he's a very thoughtful guy, but maybe doesn't always, you know, verbalize probably what he's thinking. So it'll just probably be a little bit of a challenge to just, make sure that we, you know, keep a good conversation going all the time and, um, you know, try and reach decisions somewhat decisively, you know. I mean, the one thing that's going to be very similar is that we were a team that was pretty much always low on time um, with Mike, and, and I know that Kevin's team is pretty much always low on time. I know that whenever we play them, it pretty much always came down to the last couple seconds for whoever was throwing the last rock. So that part of it will probably be actually pretty similar. But yeah, I mean, I, I am. I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what it's going to be like. I, I think that Kevin and I have a lot of the same um, thoughts when it comes to calling the game. So I, I think in that regard, it'll be uh, it should be a pretty smooth transition. The one player on the team that may be a little less familiar to certain people in our audience is Colton Flash. What does he bring to the team from the second position? And will his youthful energy, the fact that he's a bit younger than the other members of the team? What difference will that make during the dog days of the curling season in November and December where it seems that teams are playing every weekend almost and players can get a little bit tired and it becomes a bit of a grind? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, I can, I mean I'm just kind of getting to know him a little bit better now over the summer. Um, and yeah, he's definitely the type of guy that's going to probably keep things pretty light. You know, I, from what I can see, it doesn't look like too much really bothers him. It's kind of water off the duck's back with him as far as, um, you know, where... Some people, certain things that bother them or get under their skin, 
you know, he, I can definitely see him filling that role as the as the guy that's going to keep us loose and, you know, make us laugh every now and again. And it's important to have that, um, like you said, you know, the winter can get and the season can get pretty long and, and tiring at times. But if you got a guy to keep things light and provide a couple laughs here and there, it sure, sure makes road life a lot more enjoyable. Um, and I can definitely see him filling that role. I mean, him and him and Ben, I think, are going to be a pretty uh, dynamic duo that way as far as providing the laughs on the team. Um, I can see they're both going to be uh, definitely providing the comic relief on the team, that's for sure. Of all the new lineups that were announced towards the end of last season, the one that seemed to get the most attention was a team that will be skipped by Kerry Anderson, which includes Val Sweeting dropping down to play third, along with two other former skips, Shannon Burchard and Brianne Maillard, playing the front end. I asked Anderson how the team addressed the concern that having a team consisting of four experienced skips might be a case of too many chefs in the kitchen. Well... When we first sat down, uh, it was just uh, Brianne and Shannon and I, and I know they were wanting to switch up their position and um, play a different role. So when we, it was just us three at that time, and we were going to find a, a lead, and then um, um, I got a call from Val and uh, she was wanting to also switch up her position. When uh, what she had in Alberta fell through, she had uh, contacted me. So I told her that I had uh, Shannon and Brianne already, and, and then uh, she kind of threw out the idea of if they would play front end and how they, if they would feel comfortable. So, yeah, my first thought was, wow, this is awesome, and then I was like, oh, but is this too many skips or, you know, and... They knew, like, they wouldn't have come to me if they didn't think that they didn't trust me to lead, be a good leader for them. Um, so then I sat down with the, uh, Shannon and Brianne, and I gave them, like, Val came to me, and they were, uh, they, I gave them some time to think about it, and I said, you girls, like, this is a huge change for all of you, and I don't want to to be uncomfortable in any kind of way um, going from skipping and then playing a totally different role um, is something huge. And um, Shannon and Brianne, they, they really liked the idea and um, they, um, they wanted to, uh, to play the front end role and uh, be uh, good supporters of um, myself and Val. So, yeah, I I really think that this this squad can really put together, and you know they all kind of been there before. They've all skipped, and they know what not to do and what not to say because they were like that at one point too, right? Like they they skipped. So yeah, I I have a really good feeling that I think it should all work out really well. Obviously, a lineup like this is put together with an eye towards qualifying for the Olympic trials and then hopefully the Olympics. The teams that usually make it deep into the trials have been building towards that moment for the whole cycle. Have you and the team sat down as a group with a coach and perhaps a sports psychologist to develop a plan that you believe will best position you to be in the mix come the 2021 trials? And without getting into the nitty-gritty, how did that process go for a group of people that didn't necessarily know each other super well before becoming a team? Yeah, we all sat down. Um, Val came uh, came out, and we all sat down and, and met with our coach. Our coach is uh, Patty Wuthrich. She's coached me for a few years back. Um, last year she took uh, some time off, and she's back coaching this year. So uh, we all sat down, and we discussed our goals and what we want to achieve and 
our first one was definitely getting back to the Scotties and for sure working towards the uh, the Olympics, the next one. So um, that's that that was one of our, our biggest goals and um, also uh, yeah, getting to know each other and we sat down and had a, quite a long talk, and it, it went really well, and everyone's on the same page, which is good, and that's what you, you need as, uh, to make a team work. Now, usually in the first year of a new cycle, new teams get a chance to work out the kinks, develop chemistry and the system, etc., without much external pressure. However, the reality is that because you're the quote-unquote skip team, many people will have their eyes on you and will be expecting you to be successful from the outset. How have you gone about preparing for what might be a bit of a different atmosphere surrounding your team than most of you are used to? Yeah, there's a lot of people that are negative about it and that don't think that it's going to work, but um, there's been lots of teams out there that um, um, once they used to skip and they play different positions. So I think think it's going to be a great, great opportunity for all of us. And um, if we all just stick to our roles and our our plans and we're all mature adults and um, if anything's ever bugging anyone, we we let each other know. And so I think um, we just kind of got to put all the social media and negativity behind us uh, and just focus on ourselves. And we know that we're all great shooters. Um, we just need to come together, I think, with um, mostly maybe the sweeping and judging part. That's what our main focus uh, will be on. And uh, also getting to know each other on and off the ice. The reigning women's world champions also have a new player in their lineup with Jocelyn Peterman stepping in at second for Team Jennifer Jones after Jill Officer decided to step away from a full-time playing schedule. I asked Peterman if there was anything daunting about joining arguably one of the best women's curling teams ever and filling a position that was held by arguably one of the best women's seconds ever and one of the more respected and likable players on tour. Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word daunting. Um, I like to think of it as very motivating. I mean, as soon as as I knew I was joining that team, there's something just very inspiring about being a member of arguably the best team in the world um, in so many ways. So I just find it so motivating. It instantly makes me want to just be better in every aspect of the game. And, you know, I've made lots of changes to – to my strength training and, and practicing on the ice already. And it's just very motivating to, to aspire to be at their level and, and be as consistent and as great as a player as Jill was. Jennifer and the team have a history of embracing new players, whether it was Caitlin Laws back in 2010 or Shannon Burchard stepping in for Caitlin at last season's Scotties. Did the fact that they seem to be very adaptable and accepting of new players make the decision to join the team even easier for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, seeing how, especially with Shannon, with the situation at the Scotties, her jumping in so last minute and, and how well they did with her, I think that is a testament to every member of the team, and Shannon herself, just um, but how well they can can make things work and, and welcome new teammates and, and roll with changes. So, yeah, for sure, that's definitely a very uh, comforting feeling for me joining the team. The last season must have been an exhausting one for you. There was the whole build-up to the trials that all the team experienced, 
But then your team went undefeated in the round robin at the women's trials, only to lose the final to Team Holman. Then you moved on to the Canadian mixed doubles trials, where you and Brett Gallant went undefeated in the round robin, only to lose in the semis to the eventual Olympic champions. And then less than a week after that, you won a Grand Slam event, followed by a tough week at Provincials, and then they lost in the wildcard game at the Scotties. All that combined with the announcement that you were joining Team Jones. Last year, I've never summed everything up in one one sentence like that. It is a, a little overwhelming when you think of it like that. But um, it was a, a really good learning experience for me. I mean, it was my first Olympic trials, um, and then to have two within a month. You know, I think I can just take all of that experience, and it, it was a great experience. Um, into this next Olympic cycle, and there's always so much to learn from how we prepared for it, um, how we handled, you know, the big games in those situations, and obviously hand it, handling the the disappointment at both the the women's trials and the mixed doubles trials, and and using that as motivation for the next Olympic cycle, and working even harder than we did last last cycle. After four seasons with Team Cooey that included a world championship victory and culminated with his first trip to the Olympics, Brent Lang joined Team Epping this season along with his longtime front-end partner and friend, Craig Saville. I started my interview with Lang by asking him how pumped he was to be back playing on a front-end with Saville. Yeah, obviously, I'm super excited to be back and, uh, you know, on the ice and off the ice with Craig and spend some, some more time with him. It's we grew up together. I mean, I started curling with Craig when we were 18, and uh, we played together right from then, basically nonstop until uh, uh, until about four years ago. So it's it's super exciting to be back with him. I mean, he's a, a super great guy off the ice and so much fun to be around one of, if not my best friend in the world. And uh, so that's going to be amazing to be back and spending so much time with him again uh, on the ice. He, he's proven himself to be to be one of the best teammates, one of the best players, especially in his position going. So uh, I'm excited about that as well. And, uh, you know, him and Ben are similar. I mean, uh, Ben is kind of just a little bit more extreme uh, version of Craig. And so it was, it was good. Craig was my starter, my starter, Benny. Benny's uh, a little bit more in the face and likes to trash talk more than anybody. And, and Craig's kind of a level down from that. So they're both entertaining and both great guys to be around and both great players. So uh, I'm super excited to be back on the ice with Craig. Brent, I haven't done an interview with you since prior to the Olympic Games, and I can appreciate that the Olympic competition did not go as you and the team would have hoped for, but the bottom line is you represented Canada in curling at the Olympics, and there are many very good curlers that have never had that opportunity. It may not be easy to separate the two, but results aside, how was the rest of the Olympic experience for you? Uh, it met and exceeded every expectation going in. Uh, you know, that, like I said, it, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's, the biggest, it's the biggest event on earth. Uh, there's no question when it comes to sports, and everybody talks about walking into the stadium for the opening ceremonies and being a part of the big sea of red and, uh, and white with Team Canada. And so those, those memories were, were fantastic. Uh, you'd never be able to replace those, never be able to duplicate those. And meeting all of the different athletes, I mean, I was fortunate I knew a couple of people going in, but not very many. Mark and Ben knew a bunch of people, so that made it easier to meet some of the other athletes. But all the, you know, the what I would call the regular Olympians for Canada, the people you see, you know, year after year at two and three Olympics, in a row, they were fantastic, and they go out of their way to make you show up, um, even though we were old newbies, but um, it was. It was a real great team atmosphere, uh, living in the village and, and walking by all the different flags and, uh, you know, different uh, different nationalities in, in the Olympic Village and, uh, you know, in the, uh, the meal tents and everything was, was a really cool experience, and you just feel like you're, you're in a bubble and in a, 
in a place that you've dreamed about being for your whole life. So it, it's, it's hard to dream about something for that long and then go and have it meet expectations, but everything in, in Korea I did lead up to, or sorry, live up to all of my expectations. So it was a fantastic experience that uh, is actually hard to put into words. You've played with some exceptional skips in your career, including John Morris, Glenn Howard, and Kevin Cooey. And this year you're making the transition to playing with John Epping. You've obviously played against John a bunch over the years. What is it that you like about him as a skip, and what role do you see yourself playing on this team above and beyond throwing second rocks and sweeping yeah no we haven't uh, we've talked a little bit about obviously how the team will work and things but it's been more logistics so far i, I think it's kind of uh like anything in life the, the best way to figure things out is by doing it and the best way to do it is, is actually getting out there and, uh, and getting your hands dirty so as we kind of develop as a team i think we'll develop our role it won't happen you know just kind of naturally or maybe, maybe it will but there'll be lots of discussion outside after games uh you know after events and everything to figure out yeah, what, what is everybody's role on the team? Um, and, and that's part of the fun of, of figuring that out on a new team because, like you said, it, you know, I might be this, you know, a certain role on Team Curry or whatever role I played on Team Hallowed or, or Team Morris before that, but it may be a, a totally different role here depending on the personalities and what other guys are comfortable doing or not doing. Uh, so I, I look forward to that challenge and look forward to, to figuring that out with the guys. But, yeah, back to, you know, what drew me to John, obviously a, a great guy, and, you know, he, you can't find probably a more liked guy on tour from his peers and so a more respected guy i mean he's scary good i mean we we always talk on team Kui that if we play our best game that uh, we rarely if ever would walk off the ice uh, with a loss uh, but john is one of the the few guys and a few teams that uh, i remember a specific game in a grand slam semi-final where we walked off the ice and kind of looked at each other and best game and then he beat us and john literally said the team played well but john made so many amazing shots and what, what really excites me about john is nothing really rattles him and nothing nothing scares john he's one of those guys that wants to have that last rock in his hand and you need that as a skip and wow but eventually you better want it and, and John's always wanted that so I'm excited to have have that kind of guy on the team similar to the way Kevin played uh, Glenn in the beginning maybe didn't want that last rock as much as he he grew to love it though and, and grew to be not the best skip ever play the game Chelsea Carey was within a shot or two of representing Canada at the Olympics after a brilliant week at the Olympic trials where her team went undefeated until losing in the final to team Homan it was a four-year cycle filled with many ups and downs for Carrie, and I started by asking her how she would summarize her 2018 Olympic cycle. Yeah, it was definitely a bit of a roller coaster. I, I moved from Winnipeg to Edmonton, from Edmonton to Calgary, changed teams a couple times, and then had a team, and then you know one had some great success, and then had a new player, and so yeah, it was it was definitely a little bit all over the place. But I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it. We got to experience some incredible things. Had some heartbreaks, but had some had some huge breakthroughs. One of Scotty's, one of Slam for the first time. I mean, you, you can't ask for for a whole lot better than that. Obviously, we would have liked the trials final to go our way, but um, but it's been a it's been a great run. This season, you were joined by three new players. Uh, let's start at the third position. You've played with several thirds in your career, which means you've had to deal with different types of personalities and different skill sets. What is it about Sarah Wilkes that made you feel comfortable that she's a good fit for you, not only from a shot-making perspective, but also from a personality and on-ice dynamic perspective? Uh, well, from a shot-making perspective, obviously, if anyone's watched her play, you know exactly why, why I would like her to throw third rocks for me. She's an incredible talent. Um, and, and has a skill set that I think fit really well with, especially with the new change with the five rock rule. She's actually not going to be in the house with me though, um, because if you've, again, if you've watched her play, you know, she's an unbelievably good sweeper. So she's going to sweep and Dana Ferguson will be in the house with me. 
The other members of your team, Dana Ferguson and Rochelle Brown, are certainly accomplished players, having played several years on the front end with Val Sweeting. You've played against them quite a bit over the past several seasons, so you know both Dana and Rochelle well, even though you've never been teammates. What made them a good fit for Team Carey? Yeah, obviously seen them play a lot and so had a lot of respect for both of their games. Again, Rochelle, I mean, they're both great sweepers, but Rochelle um, is an incredible sweeper, and so her and Sarah as a sweeping combo for, for my shots got me excited. I think that um, Dana and Rochelle both um, have bring bring a lightness and an attitude that I am attracted to at this point. They keep it fun, and they, you know, they're always up to something goofy, and their antics are, are very entertaining, and I just think that um, some lightness and some, because it's not something that I'm necessarily naturally good at. I'm quite intense and serious, so I like the idea that I'll kind of balance that out a bit. And that's also why I think Dana in the house is a good fit for me. I just think that her attitude will be good for, for me and for my confidence, and that's what I was looking for. I know that the ultimate goal of each elite Canadian team is to qualify for the Olympic trials, win there, and then represent Canada at the Olympics. But I'm assuming that the four of you have sat down over the summer to establish a plan and perhaps some short and long-term objectives and milestones. Now, without getting into what those objectives and milestones might specifically be, can you perhaps share a little bit of the process and what it was like for the four of you? Yeah, so our conversation revolved a little less around um, goals. We we have the same goals, and we know the steps. And you know, obviously Val and or um, you know Val's team with with Dana and Rochelle came awfully close to winning a Scotties, and so they would love to do that and get back to a World Championship and that kind of thing. Like that stuff, we kind of it was a little bit almost unspoken. What we talked about more goals wise was what do we think will set us apart in four years, and then reverse engineer that to how do we build those skill sets or whatever it is in the, over the next four years. So we, we identified a few different things that we think can be our kind of identity as a team. And, um, and then we talked about, okay, what are the steps now to get those skills to the level that they need to be at for us to give ourselves a chance in, uh, at the, at hopefully at the trials. Finally this week, as we do at the start of every season, we spoke with Al Cameron of Curling Canada to discuss the season of champions and where this season's national championships will be hosted. However, I started by asking Cameron about the recent announcement of the teams that were included in the national team program for the 2018-2019 season. Of the nine mixed doubles teams selected, most consisted of players that were already selected for the program as members of their men's or women's teams, which led many people to wonder why other athletes were not given a chance to be part of the program in mixed doubles. So it was a simple mathematics that decided who was named to that program. The Canadian Mixed Doubles rankings, uh, they, if they reached a certain threshold on the Canadian Mixed Doubles rankings through performance at, uh, at tour events as well as the Canadian Championship uh, and, and the, uh, the trials, that's uh, how they grew, went up the rankings and that's how they were uh, selected for the team uh, in terms of being named to that team to get the funding, but uh, there was no real coach's discretion. Curling Canada recently announced the teams that will represent the country at the first three Curling World Cup events. With so many great men's, women's, and mixed doubles teams available, how did Curling Canada go about selecting which teams would represent Canada at these Curling World Cup events? A lot of it was uh, being made available, right? Because uh, it's not a cheap proposition for those teams to travel to these events. Uh, we're asked to select the teams, but in terms of our involvement, that's as far as it goes. We'll send a team leader to go with them. But uh, because the teams are playing for money that they will keep themselves, uh, they assume many of the expenses themselves. So uh, I can't say that every team wanted to go, but uh, I will also tell you that uh, the teams uh, that uh, were asked for the most part did 
take that opportunity to go to, and represent our country internationally. And I know it's going. They're going to be some great events. It's going to be intriguing, considering some of the rule changes that they're going to use at these events. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, very interesting to watch how it plays out. Most Canadian curling fans are already looking forward to the season of champions. Let's start with the Continental Cup. Returning to Vegas this season, how pumped is the team at Curling Canada about returning to that city where the event has been so popular in past seasons? Well, certainly, and you know we've seen that with ticket sales as well. That people are excited to go back to that facility. Uh, it's it's a it's a different partner this year in that we're working. Uh, we have more of a hands-on involvement with the event this year at Curling Canada, in addition to the great folks at the Reno Tahoe Winter Games Coalition, as well as USA Curling. Uh, kind of a, a three-party agreement that to, to put this event together. Uh, but you know that's kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that won't really affect how it's going to play out on the ice. But uh, we know it's, uh, there's going to be some great talent there. We know there's going to be some excitement there. That just goes part and parcel with the, with the, uh, with the World Financial Group Continental Cup. The Briar this season will be in Brandon, Manitoba, which is no stranger to hosting big curling events, but hasn't hosted a Briar since 1982. And it will be the Briar's first return to Manitoba since 2008 in Winnipeg. Yeah, that's correct. And, uh, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, they, they put together a great package, obviously, the, the, that, uh, that secured the right to host this event. And we're seeing a great deal of excitement. I mean, that Brandon obviously has a great history with the Tim Hortons Briar. That's where the Briar patch came into existence for the first time. And uh, we're excited to see what they have store for us uh, at the Keystone Center. The Scotties will be hosted in Sydney, Nova Scotia this season. Now, I can appreciate and understand why, more often than not, Curling Canada hosts the Briar in or near major urban centres. But there's something to be said for curling events in smaller cities and the energy that is created within those communities. And I'm assuming that Curling Canada is expecting the same type of energy in Sydney for this year's Scotties. The Scotties will be hosted in Sydney, Nova Scotia this season. Now, I can appreciate and understand why, more often than not, Curling Canada hosts the Briar in or near major urban centres, but there's something to be said for curling events in smaller cities and the energy that is created within those communities, and I'm assuming that Curling Canada is expecting the same type of energy in Sydney for this year's Scotties. Well, absolutely, and, and please keep in mind, too, that, you know, in terms of Curling Canada selecting these cities, it really comes down to who puts the best bid, and uh, geography plays really a role in it. Uh, if, if, if a city is in the best bid, they are going to host an event. And Sydney did put in the best bid in terms of uh, a bid that made sense for Curling Canada and a bid that made sense for the local organizing committee. So we're seeing that play out ever since awarding that event. And the host committee has just been super active in that community uh, to make sure that it's a, a thriving event. It's going to be a great week of curling in Nova Scotia, as you know. Uh, the World Junior Championships will be taking place in Liverpool uh, a few hours away at the on the exact same week. So it's going to be an exciting time to be a curling fan in, in the province of Nova Scotia. This season, Canada will host the World Men's Curling Championships in Lethbridge will be asked to follow in the footsteps of North Bay, Ontario, who did a fabulous job in hosting the Women's Worlds last spring. Yeah, I can't argue with that. That was really one of the highlight events of uh, the 2017-18 curling season from a lot of perspectives, right? We're just uh, off the hook. Uh, it, there's no other way to put it. And, but uh, Lethbridge has a proven history, too. Uh, they did a great job hosting the Women's Worlds in 2012. Uh, did a great job hosting the Scotties in 2007. It's a, a terrific facility, uh, and there's a great deal of enthusiasm in Lethbridge uh, to welcome the world's uh, best men's curling teams. And that does it for our first episode of the 2018-2019 curling season. Join us next week for the second part of our season preview. This time we focus on the U.S. with guests John Schuster, Alex Carlson of Team Sinclair, Tabitha Peterson of Team Roth, and Coach Phil Drobnik. If you haven't done so yet, please follow us on Twitter at FromTheHack. 
I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.